0: Find a seat, if you would. What a party, as it should be. That's an impossible act to follow, as I hoped it would be. They stole the show, and that's just so appropriate on Christmas or Christmas Eve, because uh, we are celebrating, we are celebrating God who became a baby, so it's it's right that the kids should have, should have stolen the show and had the spotlight. One more hand for them. That was awesome. Way to go, kids. Proud of y'all. First ever. Sojourn Houston wide nativity. Nativity, nativity. And um, you kids did a great job. I'm proud of you. Ashley, thanks for putting that together. Wherever you are, you did great. Yeah, yeah. So, for a few minutes tonight, I know we got the kids here and it's an hour long max gathering. And so, just for a few minutes tonight, before we head off to a meal with family and friends and tear into presents tomorrow at the latest, um, I just want to spend a few minutes looking at the perspective, um, not so much uh, like from the participants of this divine drama um, that we celebrate that happened 2,000 years ago. So, rather than looking at them, as we normally do, um, trying to look just for a few minutes through some of their eyes to sort of recapture, as we, as we sang in that last stanza, just the wonder. If we don't have wonder, it's like, I'm reminded of what, when I think about Christmas and the wonder of God actually becoming a human, as the scriptures claim that he did, and as his apostles, almost to a man, went to the death, saying that he did, as Luke recorded here, saying that he did. In the words of C.S. Lewis, who said, Christianity either means nothing, if it's not true, or everything, but what it you know, it either makes no difference or it makes all the difference. But what it can't do is just make some difference. Um, so the idea that God Almighty became a helpless child, if that doesn't fill us with wonder, but, then there's something wrong. But it's, we, every Christmas and really every day and every week we regather, sort of try to recapture some of that because we are prone to wonder. And we are full of sin and we live in a, in a broken world. And so I just want to spend a few, a few minutes tonight looking first at the shepherds. So if you notice from that text that Lillian and Lizzie read so wonderfully tonight in Luke 2, as he chronicles this this night on which Christ was born. Um, The shepherds take up a huge part of the text from verses 8 to 18. It's about the shepherds and about how they were the recipients of this amazing news, that God was coming to be with us, Emmanuel, which means God with us. So much space devoted to them, which is amazing. But when you start to look at sort of that milieu and how shepherds were viewed, especially, it's especially amazing. So shepherds were poor. They were sort of at the bottom of the social scale. They were thought of at this time in history, for some reason, as unclean even though God calls himself a shepherd in the Old Testament, the profession was known as unclean. So out of five ancient Near Eastern around the time of Jesus, rabbinic lists of proscribed trades, jobs that you just didn't want to do, they were unclean. Shepherding is in three of those five lists. And yet this is who God chooses. This is who Jesus writing the script before he came as a baby. This is who he chose to reveal this amazing, wonderful incarnation to. Um, And so what the angels say is, there's going to be, a, they appear in the sky. To, to the shepherds, this is any other normal night. It's cold outside, no doubt. They're in the fields outside of Bethlehem, outside Jerusalem, which is close to Bethlehem. And they're doing their thing and they're cold and they're probably talking with fires going and there are sheeps just around eating grass or sleeping. And all of a sudden, the sky is just filled with this glorious light. And, it say, and the, the angels, whenever they appear, they almost always say, fear not. Unless, so if they're appearing to someone that has good news, like these shepherds preach to them, they say, fear not, why? Because the shepherds are not expecting this at all. And even if they had, they still would have been on their faces multitude of angels, an army of angels lighting the sky up before electricity. And they are pronouncing, as with trumpets, this amazing news that God has come to, the Savior of the world, Messiah, has come to, to live with men. And they say the sign of this. So that would have been amazing. But they say, look, we want you to go check this out for yourself. So there's a sign. And the sign is going to be you're going to go into Bethlehem, and there's going to be a baby. He's going to be wrapped in cloth, nothing new there, in swaddling cloth, as you do with a child. But he's going to be lying in a feed trough. He's going to be on the night of his birth, and for nights thereafter probably, He's going to be lying in a feed trough for animals. Um, and so they go and they see this very thing. And what, and what they leave with is if you look at verse 18 and 19, they leave telling people uh, the good news. It says this, it says, and all who heard it after they left wondered at what the shepherds told them. So it's like they, they saw something, it was confirmed and they told Mary and Joseph, and we'll talk about that in a second. And they just left and they kept telling people throughout those next days and weeks, presumably, and even years about what they saw. The angels told them something and it was confirmed. Um, and so just that, just that view from the shepherds to whom God chose to reveal himself. Next from Joseph, verse five here. So I love thinking about the perspective from Joseph because we hear about Mary, we hear about Jesus and well, we should, we hear about the shepherds, but we don't often think about Joseph and that poor guy, man. So he receives the news, whether through Mary or finding out, but just because she grows that his fiance is with a child. She's with child and that child, he's not the, he's not the father. Of that child. That is a bad day right there. That's the news. This, this boy is not yours, okay? You're not the father of this, of this child. That's hard news. So when the messenger in Matthew chapter one, which we didn't read, comes to him in a dream and tells him, this is, a, this is the son of God. The Holy Spirit has overshadowed your wife, and this is the Messiah. He didn't put her away, and he chose to stay with her, but still, you, you know his mind. That was, it wasn't like he was a man of faith, and he believed, but still, I mean, his faith, I'm sure, grew and grew and grew as things happened. And I think one one of the things I love to think about is this moment that Lillian and Lizzie read about, where the shepherds come. Think about this from Joseph's perspective. The shepherds come. He's still probably full of, she gives birth, and he's thinking, okay, I had this dream, man. And we went from Nazareth down, or up, rather, okay, because it's uphill, to Bethlehem, which is about 2,500 feet above sea level. And it's cold outside, and Jesus is born next to the cattle in this manger in this feed trough. And this is hard stuff, And and we're coming down for the census. And I'm trusting that, I don't know what, but I'm not the father, I know that. But then these shepherds come in. And they say, look, guess what we saw? They're all in an uproar. Angels filled the sky and they said that Messiah has come and this is gonna be the sign. And sure enough, we've never seen in all of our live long lives, we've never seen a baby in a manger and here he is, just like the angel said. Shepherds, a ton of them. Why would they be here unless that happened? So Joseph, can you imagine how comforting that was to him? And he had various things throughout his life and he died at some point probably before Jesus was crucified because we don't see him there. Um, and Mary is given to John as if she didn't have a husband. So he probably died at some point as Jesus was growing up. But for until he passed, confirmation after confirmation, this must have been one of the things that really reassured Joseph. Wow. It's true. Still not being able perhaps to get his mind around it. So what a comfort. And then Mary in verse 19, it says that she treasured these things in her heart. She of all people knew that no man got her pregnant. She grew with child. She bore this son. It's not an alien. What's happening to me? It's a boy. No man made me pregnant. She alone, more than anyone else knew, with, with conviction, something amazing is happening. God has come upon me, and I'm still not, I, she probably hadn't put the, all the pieces together yet. But as these things happened, as the shepherds came in, saying, here's what's happened. she says she treasured, and that's what th- that verb in the Greek means. She preserved these events and words from the shepherds, and she stored them away for safekeeping. And she just pondered and considered them for, again, months and years. All of heaven is rejoicing at the birth of m- my son for whom I was not ever with a man. This is amazing. This is wonderful. Heaven is throwing a party over my son who was just born, who's been in my womb these nine months. And then the, she said that it says that she treasured up the, these things. What things? The things the shepherds told her about the events and the words they shared, that the angels had shared. And what were the words? Well, the, word, the angel said, today is born to you a Savior, who is Christ, which is the Greek form of the Hebrew, Mashiach. The one that the Jews for centuries have been waiting for. All the scriptures pointed to him. This is the one. The angel, the shepherds come in and they're like, he is the savior. He's the Christ. He's the anointed one. He's the one that we've been waiting for. And then it says, he's the Lord is what the angel said. Can you, I mean, again, just trying to think of it for a few seconds from Mary's perspective through her eyes, the wonder. And then finally, he will bring peace. The angel said, he will bring peace between God and man. Peace will rest on humanity for the first time since Adam and Eve. There's a new creation coming about through this son. He's going to reconcile God with man. Really? Yes, the God-man, the son of God himself, born fully human. He is going to draw God and man together in peace. He's going to take care of the sin problem. What? Yes. So she ponders these things. She treasures these things. She stores them away in her heart. And finally, Jesus. Um, of course, I'm going to finish with Jesus. Um, I, I, was, I went to school on the East Coast in North Carolina, and there was a man who owned car dealerships, a lot of car dealerships there. His name was Don Flo. If you've ever been to Winston-Salem, you've seen his name on billboards, and he's a strong Christian. And we—I was part of a Christian group, and we had a night in his house. And I was stunned at how he made a lot of money. I was expecting a big house, but it was a very mod. I was stunned when I got there. It was a very modest house. It was a very modest house. And, I, and twenty years later, I, I'm still—I still remember the feeling I had when I walked up and I saw that it was a house that was about 2,000 square feet with a basement, stuff everywhere, you know, very homey. Um, his humility impressed me. That's Don Flo. That's a car dealer. Can you imagine the humility of the living God to come down, to choose? As I said the past two Sundays, none of us, none of you got to choose. You've got to choose a lot of stuff in your life. You didn't get to choose that you were born or the circumstances of your birth. If you had, let me just say this. If I had, I certainly would not have, I would have chosen comfortable. And I was born comfortable with a lot of privilege in America, for starters. But I wouldn't have chosen what God did. Jesus chose his manner of birth. And he chose to be born poor. And he chose to reveal himself to those that were kind of despised in society the humility of God in in the incarnation. He chose every detail from the announcement to the shepherds, to being born to poor parents, to being born out of place, out of Nazareth, out of wedlock, into a feed trough that he spent his first few nights in, as we said. He entered in. He emptied himself. Listen to this. This is the first time I really thought about this aspect. He emptied himself. Paul uses the word in Philippians 2, kenosis. That's the the Greek uh, word for he emptied himself of all the power he was privy to as the eternal God, the second person of the Godhead, the son of God. Okay, The only being who's never existed, God. He, was, he remained God, but he emptied himself of all the power. And it's a mystery. But it, on this night, think about it. He had choreographed it all before the beginning of time. And then he enters into being a, born a baby. And in that womb, and then crying, coming through Mary's womb, into this world, bloody and screaming. At that point, there's a sense in which God was still reigning, but Jesus, the Son of God, in his humanity, didn't know what was going on. All he knew was it was cold. And he was extremely uncomfortable, bloody, crying, and scared. Can you imagine the humility um, of not being in control, of being this utterly dependent? And then there's this scandalous verse in Luke 2, 5. Joseph went to Bethlehem from Nazareth to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, or his fiance, who was with child. Again, Jesus chose to be born into scandal. Mary was, in that society you were born, you, you were betrothed but not married, and you were with child and you gave birth. Scandal. Jesus chose that. He chose to be born in pain, crying and screaming. He chose to live a life of being shunned. He chose to hang out, not with the rich and popular, but he spent his time with prostitutes, largely the poor. His band was blue-collar fishermen for the most part. Okay, the rejected. But also the rich came to worship him. They have a place at the table, too. He came for everyone, the magi. That's why I pointed this way, because they came in this way. The magi, from a shepherd to a magi, from a prostitute to Nicodemus. Anyone's welcome. Anyone's welcome. But this is how he chose to be born. He entered into all this pain. And then, so he was born into it, he chose that, he lived in it and that rejection and he died in it in utter shame. There was no more shameful or public or extended way to die than the crucifixion. It's, it's as if, and this is true, I believe, God waited for the most horrific time in history for a, a people group, the Romans, to, to come up with a public and painful and shameful execution. And he said, now it's time. Now it's time because forever and ever, people will know that this is the sign of my love. This is what it took, hanging there. Have you ever seen such a gruesome sight, such a shameful sight? He chose that. It's why he came. I, I received a tweet this morning that says this. It says, I worship the God who was born in blood and nakedness, laid in a manger, and who died in blood and nakedness, nailed to a cross. He chose that symmetry. He came to die. He was born to die. That was his mission. As Jesus himself said during his ministry, the son of man, that was his favorite title for himself, came not to be, not to, uh, be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Athanasius, a third and fourth century church father, said this. Two more quotes, and then, and then we're going to do some candle lighting. He said, the word, the son of God, Jesus, the word, perceived that corruption could not be got rid of otherwise than through death. So the only way that we can pay for our sins and end our corruption, in a sense, is to die. But then it's a game over for us. Our creator wasn't satisfied with that. So what? Yet he himself, as the word, being immortal, and the father's son, as such, could not die. So here's the problem. We, our, our penalty is death, and God wants us to be with him. But we're going to die if we're going to pay. He's just. We have to pay for the sins that we commit. God, The son of God from eternity could not die. He's, he's immortal. So what was the solution? And this is what Athanasius writes in De Incarnatione, in the Incarnation. He writes this. So for this reason, therefore, he assumed a body capable of death. He was able to be crucified in order that through belonging to the word who is above all might become in dying a sufficient exchange for all. He made himself able to die, and that's why he came. To be born in our place, to live in our place, and to die in our place. Oxford lecturer, Cambridge professor and chair, and most distinguished of all children's author, C.S. Lewis, Of course, I'm going to end with him. Wrote in his book, Miracles. In the Christian story, God descends to reascend. He comes down, down from the heights of absolute being into time and space, down into humanity, down further still, if embryologists are right, to recapitulate in the womb, ancient and pre-human phases of life, down to the very roots and seabed of the nature he's created. But he goes down to come up again and bring the whole ruined world up with him. One has the picture of a strong man stooping lower and lower to get himself underneath some great complicated burden. He must stoop in order to lift. He must also almost disappear under the load before he incredibly straightens his back and marches off with the whole mass swaying on his shoulders. He wasn't born for him. He was born for you in your place. He didn't live for him. He lived for you in your place, and he didn't die for him. He died for you. What do we say every time we celebrate communion, every week, here's my body, this is my body, broken, give me those two words, for you. He was born for you. Every stage, of your life, he had to go through and he chose to go through so that he could be born, live, and die vicariously in your place. And when the Father looked at you, if by faith you cry out to him, he sees Jesus. Last quote from Athanasius in the same same work. He says this, short quote, for what has not been assumed has not been healed. Jesus assumed all of our humanity and went through every stage so that he could heal it all. He went down to the bottom to take us to God, the top. From soup to nuts, the Alpha and Omega was born, lived, and died, and was risen to new life, and is alive for you. Emmanuel, God with us, he's come for us, he's come for you. The only question tonight, friend, is will you come to him? Amidst all of the glitz, and commerciality, and distraction, and wonderful stuff of Christmas, will you come to the Savior who, can, who literally moved heaven and earth to come to you, and to make a way for you to be with him? I love that, and I finish with this, I love that picture, that if we were going to continue to preach through Luke, and it might be preached next week, we would get to the next text in Luke where Jesus is taken to the temple at a circumcision, eight days old. And he's lifted up by Simeon in the temple. And, God, and he says to Simeon, I can pass now. Simeon says to him and to God, I can pass now. Your servant can depart in peace. Why? Why? For my eyes have seen your salvation that you've prepared in the sight of all people. A light to Jews and Gentiles alike. Salvation for all mankind. What's God's salvation? It's not a formula, it's not you living the best you can. Hogwash. It's this baby who grew up to be a man and purposely died on a Roman cross and is alive. This is your salvation, and this is why we celebrate Christmas. Amen? Amen. Let me close us in prayer. Lord, thank you so much for the wonder of Christmas. I pray that we would just gaze in wonder at what you've done in coming to us and making a way for us. You are our salvation. We love you. We bless you. In Jesus' name, amen.